welcome to Grace Life Church Podcast. If you would like any more information about us, please visit our website, gracelife.com.au. So, I'm going to be speaking on presumption this morning. And I don't know about you, but... um, for me, coming into a place where God's put me in a place where I speak. So for all of you that are out there, I'm not a pastor. Um, I'm not even in church leadership. I'm not in a position within a church structure at all. I am merely a person who, like you, comes in, sits in the pews, and I just have a problem that I won't stay seated. So, um, but God, God's kind of brought into my life that I should be speaking, I should be doing public speaking, but one of the things that God does for me is whenever he asks me or puts me in a place to be speaking, I actually have to walk through it to talk about it. Yeah? I can't get to a place to talk about a subject, to actually engage and do something. Can you flick it on to the next slide? You're just going to have to track it. Sorry, this thing isn't working. Um, And so I wanted to talk to you about presumption, and it was interesting because I've just spent a few days in Sydney. Now, when I was over in Sydney, one of the things I always try and do, I was on a course, and the course was running from 8 a.m. in the morning till 10 a.m. every night, uh, 10 p.m. every night. And so every night, what I would do is try and call home. I try and FaceTime so that I could speak to Hope, so that I could speak to Nad. Um, And Nathan, too, if he happened to be not too busy Teenagers, they shut themselves in their room and they like to forget they're actually not part of the family. Um, so anyway, I was FaceTiming and one of the things you may have noticed about Hope is um, that as far as she's concerned, I am the center of the universe. Right? As, as, as far as if she's given any choice about what goes on in the middle of the night when she wakes up and she wants some support, she wants some assistance, it's dad. Dad, dad, dad. And uh, even on the nights where I'm really tired and dad goes in, her mom picks her up and she looks over her mom's shoulder and she shouts, dad, 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 until I come in. So we've kind of come to the resolution, which I think works in dad's favor a little bit, that um, if hope's awake in the middle of the night, I'm the one that's going in there to deal with it. But as a result, she's come into this habit that... um, When I'm on my way home, and I ride a motorbike, and so when I ride home, in order to make sure the garage doors open when I ride up, I phone ahead and tell them I'm about to come into the back lane so they go and open. And so Hope's got used to this. And over time, she's got to the point where she knows that there's a phone call come, and it's Dad, that Dad's about to appear outside and and come through the garage door. And so every night when this happens, she hears the phone call, she goes, it's dad, and she takes off. Now, our house, um, we've, we've nicknamed it the TARDIS because it looks really small from the front, but it, believe me, it's bigger on the inside. And um, when you come to that place, you, and Nad's usually sat in our kind of living area, and Hope tears off out of there, and she runs down this little corridor all the way to the end to stand outside the garage door, and then turns around and goes, come on, mom, come on, mom, come on, mom. And of course, when I'm in Sydney, she's still in that place where she is thinking that if dad calls, 
is going to be is going to appear just through the other side. And so I'm FaceTiming from Sydney, and Mum goes, "Hope, come here, it's Dad." And Hope's like, "Dad, Dad, boom!" And instead of coming to the phone, she's off down the corridor, and she's down the other end, and she's there going, and I'm I'm on the I'm on FaceTime, and of course, Nad picks up her phone, and she walks out, and she's got her phone in her hand. And she walks out and she points it and turns the camera so I can see down. And right the way down the end of the corridor is this little lady waving her arms going, come on, mom, come on, mom. And of course, I'm not there. She had presumed because of what happens on most nights when I'm out at work, that when a phone call came in or a call came in from me, that the next thing that happened would be I would appear on the other side of the door. She had presumed, based on a set of things that she had learned over her short span of her life, that these were the sequence of events and how they happened. Now, presumption. It's, it's not always a good thing, because in that scenario, we've got three different parties involved. First of all, We've got hope. The one who's down here standing at the door, crying out, going, come on, mom, come on, mom, who's presumed, based on a certain circumstances that she's become familiar with, that an event is going to happen, something's going to happen. And as a result of the presumption, she's actually disappointed. She's been let down. Something that she thought was definitely going to happen because she'd seen it before and again and again. It didn't happen. And so instead of getting the usual, I ride into the garage, stop the bike, get off the bike, and I get this frantic little midget running towards me, screaming, Dad! Instead, this little girl's coming back up the hallway going, what's happening? Now, not only that, but here's me, and I'm on my phone in Sydney, FaceTiming, and now I feel sad because in trying to do the right thing and connect with the family and talk to them and connect to them and speak to them about what's going on, I'm now in a position where she's now sad because I tried to do the right thing and connect with her and do something to help, but in, in actual presumption took place. And then we've got Nadia, too, who's the third person who's not supposed directly involved in this, but she's there, and she's feeling sad because now there's, now there's hopes going, where's Dad? Yeah? So there's multiple people get, and multiple people get hurt. And so I want to show you the, a couple of clear definitions. So to presume... To presume is to suppose something with some probability or evidence. Hope's presumption wasn't just plucked out of thin air. It was based on a repeated set of behavior that she'd seen over time. Yeah? But there's also assuming, which is just to suppose something's going to happen with no evidence at all. Now, I presume that you've heard about assume. Yeah? When we assume, we make a donkey out of you and me. Yeah? Now, when we presume, we do it with some basis of evidence, yeah? And there's situations where 
presumption is actually something that's good for us. It's a good thing to do sometimes. I'm a statistician. My whole job that I work with is based on studying data and making some information about what I think is going to happen to the future and advising clients as a result of that. So presumption is kind of what I do for a living to some regard, but I do it based on data and understanding things. And when I'm out, I ride a motorbike, as I mentioned. When I'm riding a motorbike, I have to be conscious that the world is filled with idiots and boxes on wheels. <laughs> okay? Now, in that, I have to watch what they're doing, how they're moving, are they being erratic, are they swerving, are they slowing down, speeding up, yeah? Because, let's be honest, in this day and age, it's not so much usually that they're drunk, they're usually on their mobile phone, but the effect to somebody else outside the car is no different. They're all over the place, they don't know where they are, they're erratic, yeah? So I have to make presumptions about what the other drivers on the road are doing in order to keep me safe. So presumption in that state's actually a good thing, yeah? I have to make presumptions about what I think the others are gonna do in order to preserve my safety. But the sad thing is, it's not so much about whether presuming or not is good or bad, it's usually about where we're taking the data or the evidence from and then where we're applying it to. So in Hope's case, she's over here, she's taken information about dad calling, dad appears, right? And what happened was dad did call, but he didn't appear, right? She's connected things that very truly could be connected. But the problem is that most of us take something from somewhere completely different and we apply it just because we're involved too. Does that make sense? We take something that's maybe got no basis, but because in our experience that's happened with other people, we take it and we apply it to other situations all the time. Yeah? We, we say, that happened to me before, so you're going to do that to me again. Yeah? I want to talk about the presumptions of the Israelites. Let's go back a little bit. So the pres first presumption that we should be all be aware about with the Israelites is that they presumed that their Messiah, Jesus, as we know him, although they didn't recognize him, would ride in as a conquering king. That he would come in on the big stallion, riding in, all tooled up, large sword, he'd be able to whip it out, and boom, he would fell the Roman Empire. But that's not what happened, is it? It's no real surprise to us, or it shouldn't be, although let's be honest. When we go back and we read the Bible, we go, how on earth did they not recognize Jesus? Do you know that Superman is actually based on the Messianic prophecies? Superman was based and is written and originated from the writings of two Jews. So the whole mythology about this man who is greater is actually how the Jews saw their Messiah and what they were expecting to come. So it's no wonder when you've got this image in your mind that this is what you're going to get and something else completely different turns up that you don't recognize it. I used to travel all over Southeast Asia for my job. That was what I did. I spent 75 to 80% of my time in Southeast Asia. And when I would fly home, I got into the habit 
of having to ask my wife what color her hair was. Because she would dye her hair frequently, and sometimes it was red, and sometimes it was black, and I didn't want to rock up and walk straight past her, because let's face it, that would be embarrassing. Yeah? So I, I got to the point where I definitely checked, because you ladies like to change your hair. Yeah? And us blokes get programmed in what we're expecting to see, and when we don't see it, we can walk straight past it and not recognize it. Okay? It's true. We're not bright. Sorry. The second presumption of the Israelites was that their implementation of God's teaching was the right one. They didn't do it maliciously. Let's take Saul, who became Paul as an example. He was an absolutely devoted follower of God throughout his entire life. Yeah? Even when he was persecuting Christians, he believed he was following God. He believed fundamentally that what he was doing was actually honoring God and not working against him. Yeah, he wasn't out there going, I hate this Jesus guy. He was going, you're dishonoring my God. Because his model, his frame was wrong. Because of what he'd been taught, what they'd put in place, this whole structure. They'd come to the point where they were more based about rules and rules that were based on the interpretation of the word of God, not actually on the word of God itself. Yeah, and so they built a religion. And the further and further they got in time, the more and more little tweaks and turns. Yeah? The Pharisees, the Sadducees, they were all, and they were all slightly different factions, which is no different to what we see today. The presumption of the Israelites. So what about the presumption of the modern church? Or the modern churches, I should say. Well, the first is very much that. We presume that we're not repeating the mistakes of the early church, of the Israelites when they first came around. I, I'm always amazed that we hear about groups that gather, and we used to, we used to have these things called Bible studies. Does anybody remember those? And do you know what would happen in a Bible study? People would study the Bible. I know it's a tricky name. It confuses some people. But you'd actually study the Bible, the Word of God, straight from itself. And look, I've got to be honest. I didn't know that Alex and his good-looking mate were going to be up here um, talking about this. This is just the way that God works. So we, we used to study the Bible itself. Now there are so many churches that are out there, and they're not studying the Bible, they're studying what John Bevere says about the Bible, or what, but what, you know what I mean? And which is not bad. Some of these people have got very great insight, and it's worth learning from. But if we choose to only learn from these people, rather than God himself, and what he teaches from the Bible, then why did Jesus tear the veil? Yeah? Why, why bother with the tearing of the veil if we're going to go, well, thanks for tearing the veil, but I'm going to go around and create another one? That's not the point. Yeah? We don't want to make the mistakes. We don't want to veer off and create something that's not based upon the Word of God. The second one, and this is really appropriate for what Alex and Eric were talking about, we can fully understand the Bible from our modern perspectives. Yeah? We look at the Bible, we read the Bible stories, we take into account what it says. We move through the nuances of different things and we try and understand. But then we go and look at it through 21st century eyes. Yeah? 
And that confuses things. Has anybody heard of a film called The Life of Brian? Okay. Now, The Life of Brian is a satirical film, which I think is hilarious, but um, some Christians think is just outright blasphemy. But you know the interesting thing? In Jesus' lifetime alone, there were five different people other than Jesus who claimed to be the king of the Jews. There were five different people in Jesus' lifetime alone who claimed to be the Messiah, who claimed to be rising up and tried to create these motions. So whilst we may, because we're Christians and we only know of one Messiah and we only know of one king of the Jews, we always go, oh, they must be relating to Jesus. It's got to be blasphemy. But actually, if you're a historian and you actually understand what was going on in those times, you go, well, actually, they could have been taking the mickey out of the fact that there was loads of people running around going, I'm the Messiah. Yeah, it was happening all the time. It happened throughout the history of the Israelites. People would stand up and they would be deluded into thinking, I am the Messiah. That's why Jesus didn't go around saying, I'm the Messiah, everyone, come follow me. He said, who do you say I am? He didn't come around blowing his own trumpet. His trumpet will sound, and I hope you're ready when it does, but he didn't come to blow his own trumpet. He came to show us an example. He came to live as an example. Now, there's another thing that I've always found really interesting. When Jesus came, he went into the temples and he taught. But he didn't go to the high priest or the great high priest to get baptized, did he? No. Who did he go to? John the Baptist. And there's a lot of people going, well, hang on a second. Why, when there is this huge infrastructure, there is this huge embodiment, the temple, all the rules, regulations, the, all these people through the Levitical priesthood who've been trained and um, raised up, why didn't Jesus go to them? Why wasn't that the point through which God released him into his ministry? And the truth is, when you begin to understand the times, you'll understand that actually because Israel was under the control of the Roman Empire. Yeah, we know there was lots of Romans going around, all that kind of stuff. Well, Israel had lost the right to choose who the high priest and was. It was actually selected by a Roman authority. So they'd got to a place in their existence where the person who claimed to be the spiritual authority or their spiritual leader was actually being told to them by an external government. We live in a world today where the government is trying to tell us to keep our religion out of politics and all this kind of stuff. Well, actually, really early on, their, their politics dived in and started inf interfering with the religion of the time. Yeah? And so John the Baptist. Now, what do we know about John the Baptist's parentage? Well, he was a cousin of Jesus, which is not a bad place to start. But his parents were both Levites, right? They were both Levites. Both, his entire heritage, both from his mother and his father, all came from the Levitical line. So what, in Jesus going to John, he went to God's choice for the spiritual authority of the time. Because Jesus said, I did not come to do away with the law and the prophets, but I came to fulfill it, every jot and tittle. Yeah? 
And so he could only be released into his full authority as the great high priest over and above the Levitical priesthood because if he wasn't released into that, he couldn't do away with the Levitical priesthood if he was released into that by the head of that priesthood. Another presumption of the modern churches is that we think we have to tell people what they're doing wrong. We think that it's our job when we spot somebody doing something wrong to go and tell them. Now, sometimes it might be. Yeah, we, we know that Jesus in his time did confront people. He talked to people. The very famous, the woman at the well. And Jesus spoke to her. He didn't go in there and say, by the way, you're doing this, this, and this. He went there and he asked her certain questions till she revealed what she was doing. And he asked her questions that came from his insight. Yeah? John 5, 19, Jesus very much declares the fact that he does nothing. Nothing of his own thinking, but only what the Father shows him to do. He only does that which God says, God the Father says, I want you to be there. So Jesus didn't rock up and just say, I'm going to hang around by the well in case somebody rocks up. Jesus went there because he was told to by the Father. Jesus hung around and waited for the woman at the well. When the disciples went off, Jesus hung around to wait for the woman at the well. And when he spoke to her, he spoke to her, and he didn't presume about her. He knew about her, and that's very different. Yeah? There may be a time that God says, look, I need you to go and speak to this person. Nathan had to go and speak to David. But Nathan was told by God to go and speak to David. Yeah? We've got to stop taking it upon ourselves to point out everybody else's faults. Because let's be honest, we're told that we've got to take the log out of our own eye before we start worrying about the stick in everybody else's. One of, um, one of the people that I've been pleased to connect with in ministry is a, is a man called Craig Hill. And I was sitting having lunch with Craig Hill down in Coburn one day, and he was telling me about the fact he'd just come back from Dubai. And Craig Hill was in Dubai visiting to speak at a church that was made entirely up of people who were former homosexuals. The pastor and his wife had led a homosexual life and had tr transformed their lives and were now leading a church, leading homosexuals to Jesus. And he, he turned to the pastor, and the fact that they were doing it in Dubai was amazing itself, yeah? Because these people could die for that lifestyle in these type parts of the world, okay? But what he said, he, he asked him, he said, so what, at what point do you confront people with their homosexuality? And the pastor just turned around and he said this to him. He said, I never have. He said, we bring them in and we love them. We show them the love of Jesus. And Jesus convicts them. Each of these people that you see who has turned from that lifestyle and is moving forward, praising and lifting up the name of Jesus, is doing it because he met with them. Yeah? Our job isn't to go around pointing out people's faults. Our job is to introduce people to Jesus. Yeah? There's a verse in Deuteronomy 18.20 that says, But a prophet who presumes to speak in my name anything I have not commanded, or a prophet who speaks in the name of other gods, is to be put to death. Yeah? 
We go around claiming that we're speaking on behalf of God when actually he hasn't given us the authority, he hasn't told us to go and do that, then we've got to watch out. Yeah? There's a lot of people going around going, oh, it's all right, the Old Testament doesn't apply to me. Well, it applied to Jesus, and he said it didn't finish, so you might want to check that. Okay. So what about personal presumption? What about us? What are we presuming? How many of us are down here, like hope, having seen a set of circumstances and actually made our mind up that something's going to happen as a result of something? How many of us have been over here where we're trying to do something and we're genuinely trying to do something nice and we're thinking we're doing something loving and somebody's made a presumption about us that we're like, oh. yeah? How many of us have been in that place? So I want to talk quickly about three presumptions, personal presumptions we have. The first one is that we have to do something to be of value to God. Yet one of the things, and it's amazing because I learn almost more from my children than I've learned ever before. Yeah? How many people here are parents? Yeah? Tell me one thing that your newborn has to do to be of value to you. Be born. Something they've got no control over and they just kind of rock up and scream at you for a while. Yeah? Yeah? Now, it's interesting because the word very clearly says that the, 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 what's in here, what's in the Bible, will be locked up until the day it is revealed. Yeah? So there are some people saying, well, that's not going to happen until the end of the time. But I actually believe it happens gradually as we move through different phases of our lives. The verse where it's quite well known, John 3.16 for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son. That, you can't truly understand the power of that verse until you've got a child and you know how much it would cost you if you lost that child. Yeah? You can't understand how much that means. We don't have to do anything to be of value to God. God sees us as ultimately invaluable. Yeah? We're beyond extreme. However, when you truly come into understanding and knowledge of that, as James describes in his book, it's impossible for that not to change your life and who you are and what you do with it. When you truly realize how much God loves you and that you were made specifically, you were fearfully and wonderfully made, you were knit together in your mother's womb, God doesn't make accidents. He doesn't slip up, okay? Everything is made just the way God wants it. And we don't always understand that. We don't understand. And I, look, I've got over a decade of my life that was lived in a black hole that I would rather forget. But who I was led me into that situation. And who he was led me out of it. Yeah? One of the other personal presumptions that many of us make today is that a role in our local church is the pinnacle of our ministry potential, right? I absolutely fundamentally believe, demonstrated by the fact I'm standing here, that we should be serving in our local churches, okay? So don't 
Don't twist what I'm saying. But this isn't the pinnacle of my ministry. Okay? I come here and I do what I do because the church is where we learn how to serve. The Bible says that we are to go to the world. Not that we're to expect the, church to, the world to rock up in church, because that doesn't happen, people. Yeah? We're actually to go out. We're to be here so that we can strengthen one another, so that we can learn from one another, so that we can be enriched. But to my mind, when we come here, we should be sharing stories about how you have seen God transform the world outside. We should be coming together as a, a group of people, all just busting at the seams to share how we saw God impact the people that we were in touch with this week. Yeah? Every one of you live a life, Monday to Friday, outside. Yeah? In the world. Most of you work in jobs or are actively involved in some way in something beyond the walls of this church. Every person you meet, whether you know them or don't, is an opportunity for ministry. I'm, I'm really, really happy today, of all days, because today marks the last day of a year where we've had the whole city entire blanket in prayer. I help lead a ministry called Perth Together where we have got people who are not just pastors and intercessors. We've got engineers, we've got builders, we've got doctors, nurses, lawyers. Yes, even lawyers pray. And we've got these people, and we've had them praying all the way. Every day for the last year has been covered in prayer across this city. Right? And tomorrow, we're going to celebrate that, and we're going to launch into the next year. Because we don't see we've done one year tick. We see we've done one year I can't wait for what comes next. Yeah? I love to be in the church and connect with other people. It's fundamentally important. It's actually there in Acts 2.42 that we come together in fellowship, that we share together, that we take a meal together, that we take that time. But it shouldn't just happen on a Sunday. Okay? Every time. So you've heard the, the verse that says, where two or more are gathered in my name? That relates because at that time in history... Roman law dictated that if there was ever two or three Romans in the same place, that Roman law was in effect, even if they were in a foreign country. That's where it comes from. It's not saying that, right, okay, God's, God's trying to say and speak to those people in a tongue, and in, in language they would understand that says, when you gather together, my law is there. Everything about me is there. So it just doesn't need to be when we're together like this. We can get together over... Tea, coffee, dinner, lunch, whatever. That's church. The third personal presumption, and this is one that I've seen turn dangerously wrong. The third personal presumption is that because we once prayed a prayer of salvation, that we're still on track for the narrow gate. Matthew 7, 13 says, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. 
It carries on in verse 21 that says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons? In your name perform many miracles. Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. I've met people who have been told that saying a prayer was all they needed to do to walk into the kingdom of God. And the truth is that saying a prayer when we come to that place of repentance and salvation and recognize Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, that's not the end of the journey. It's the beginning. It's not where we stop. It's where we start. See, Jesus didn't preach salvation. He preached the kingdom of God. And when we get to salvation... And we get to that point, it's like we've got to the doorway of the kingdom of God. We've reached the front door. Now, how many people go around to visit someone and hang around on the doorstep? No one? You don't do that, do you? You want to spend time with someone, you enter in. You walk through the door. Salvation is the door that we walk through in order to get in. But Paul tells us that there are three phases to our salvation. Just as there are three phases to who we are, we are made in the image of God, who is a triune God, yes? We have spirit, and it is our spirit on that day in that prayer that is connected with the Holy Spirit for eternity. But we have a soul, our mind, will, and emotions. And our mind, will, and emotions, as Paul said, are part of our working out our salvation daily. Yeah, we've got to make a daily choice to pick up our cross, yeah? That's what Jesus teaches. Every day we've got to decide, today I will follow Jesus. Today I will make sure that he is king of kings and lord of lords over my life. Because on the final day, remember that trumpet I talked about sounding? The day that trumpet sounds is the day that this physical body gets saved. The day that that physical body gets transformed just as Jesus did on the mountain. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this podcast from Grace Life Church. For more information about us or any of our services, please visit our website at gracelife.com.au.